freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Good morning. It is Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports application. Of course, all the podcast platforms, all of them everywhere, wherever you're lucky enough to find a podcast platform, you can find us there. It is a formal Friday. Maura, I know you're ready for formal Friday. Did you find a formal dress yesterday? I found one that'll do. I might look more today. Okay. I wasn't too, yeah. I wasn't too psyched about it. Yeah. How many stores did you go to? <laughs> uh, three. Three stores, one dress? Yeah. That's not a very good. That's not a very good average. No. I mean, I guess in theory you're hitting 333, which, you know, <laughs> would have you lead the team here on the Mariners. But uh, I did go to the game yesterday. Uh, kind of a good vibe yesterday for the team. And Teo kind of picking everybody up with a couple of hits and a home run. And he drove in a run early. And they kind of do their thing. And Kirby shoves and the Mariners win. And you would love for that to be the story. But, of course, it's not. For two reasons. One, I'm not going to get excited over one game. I just can't. I'm like, I'm not going to get fooled into the up, down, up, down, you know, back and forth of a 500 team. It's it's killing me at the moment. So I'm willing to just sort of wait and see before jumping in any direction other than, man, they've really put themselves at the brink of extinction. But two, of course, and you heard about it yesterday, was Jared Kelnick and the news coming out after our show that he had broken his toe kicking a water cooler after the uh, at bat, the strikeout against John Duran the other night. Here's Kelnick. I'm sure you've heard the sound, but we'll play it again. Here's Kelnick talking about it after uh, or before the game yesterday. I made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I, I let the emotions get the best of me there. I just I feel terrible. Especially for the guys. I just, I let the emotions get the best of me and I just, uh, I let them down. And uh, take full responsibility for it. Yeah. It's on me. It just can't happen. It's sort of hard to hear. I mean, as somebody with kids and, and you know, you're, I know he's 24 years old. It's not like he's my 11-year-old daughter or something like that. And I don't mean to make the comp. By the way, my 11-year-old is going to join us today for Ranked at 945. I'm so after, yes, after all of the uh, Cecily love that she received, Avery wanted to turn as well. Very different style. She's not going to make fun of dad. So, uh, you know, don't be too disappointed. But she uh, will join us uh, at 945 this morning for a special version of Ranked. I don't mean to make the comp, but when you hear somebody crying like that and and Jared's still only 24 years old, I I do have sort of that parental instinct that kicks in and you start trying to figure out, you know, where the emotion comes from, what it is that's too hard for him to handle in that moment. And I, I think Jared's a complicated guy. If you are mad at him today, I get it. I, I won't stop you. I'm not going to try to argue with you. I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. If you're mad at Jared Kelnick today and saying this guy hurt his team, he's immature. I, I you know, this stuff is it can't happen. It, 
I'm right there. I get it. It's it's a it is a obviously unfortunate and quite frankly unacceptable move to injure yourself throwing a temper tantrum. There's no other way to say it. As somebody who's thrown plenty of temper tantrums in my own life, when you hurt yourself doing it, you feel worse. It is an embarrassing moment. But usually if I hurt myself in some sort of a temper tantrum, it is, you know, I'm the only one that suffers, right? I'm not letting everybody else down because I've, you know, cracked my shin. In this case, Jared is not only letting himself down, but he's letting down his team, his teammates, everybody around him, the fans, the manager, the GM, the whole organization. I mean, he feels the weight of all of that. And so I, I have some sympathy for him, especially because he did what every freaking one of us has wanted to do for the last three months. Yeah, I feel like um, people cannot really, a lot of people can't be that mad at him because we've been getting so many texts about why aren't they more fired up? Why isn't service angry? Why aren't the players angry? Well, he's angry. He is angry. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, the best decision, but uh, yeah, he got away from if him. you're among the people that wanted them to get more fired up. You. Yeah, but this is too fired up, right? No, I mean, definitely. like, you got to find that balance. So, and no, also, I think you said broken toe. I believe it's a bro- broken bone in his foot. Oh, okay. I thought it was a toe. Fractured foot. Service oh. said f- broken bone in his foot. Okay, I'm sorry. Foot. Excuse me. I want to make sure we get the, uh, you know, the broken bones uh, accurate here. <laughs> I'm just assuming the healing time is a bit different. You're like longer for the broken foot? I yeah. So he's not just going to be out 10 days. Like, he's he's done for a while, right? I that's assume. what the service said for some time. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know if that's the rest of the year or what that means, but obviously that's a that's a bad thing for Jared, his development, the team, etc. So, you know, I, my mind kind of goes in a couple different directions. One, I kind of like it. Like, it's hard. I really like him. I like the way he handled it. I hope it's a learning experience for him. And I truly believe if Jared Kelnick can find a way to harness all of that emotion control it and use it for good rather than evil. I think it's going to only help him long-term. And I think it's a good thing for this team to see emotion like that. I don't think it's a bad thing Two, I think that I think that they let him do this press conference yesterday, which is a little bit odd more. You brought it up and I was thinking the same thing. Usually not always, but often When an injury occurs in this fashion, behind the scenes, away from prying eyes, they make up a story. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a professional athlete injured himself doing something dumb, and the team says, we'll cover for you. Years ago, when I was covering the Red Sox, they had a guy named Paxton Crawford, who you probably never heard of, and for good reason. But poor Paxton was down in AAA, and he threw either a perfect game or a no-hitter in AAA. He'd been up with a big club. He went back to AAA, and he had this great game. Well, the next day, poor Paxton had injured himself because he, quote-unquote, fell out of bed into a glass coffee table and ended up with cuts and breaks all over his arms. I've never heard the real story of what happened to Paxton Crawford, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts it had absolutely nothing to do with falling out of bed into a coffee table. That's just one story of many. Sometimes you hear, ah, he must have tweaked it during the game. He must have done this. He must have done that. 
man, I will cover Terry Francona and Manny Ramirez when every other week Tito would have to come out and be like, oh, Manny's hamstrings barking again. Like, no, it's not. You're just not playing him because he didn't show up ready to play. So they cover for guys all the time in this sport. The Mariners opted not to do that yesterday. Not only did they not make up a story for him, they said straight out, hurt himself kicking a bucket. Here you go, Jared. Go meet the media. Why'd they do it? Are they mad at him? That was my Maybe. first impression. I don't think so. But after seeing how, how he handled it, and I felt like maybe that actually was the best route for him to get out ahead of it and try to make people understand that they, he knows he made a really bad mistake. Did they worry that somebody was going to find out and then they'd look silly and so better to just be? Yeah, maybe. Were they trying to give him the sympathy card, which he absolutely got? I mean, by crying yesterday, it's hard to be mad at him when he's that mad at himself. My kids do that to me sometimes. Seriously, <laughs> that is not that's a move my kids pull. Like you want to be mad at them, and Avery's so mad at herself, where you're just like, okay, it's not that serious. Like I'm so sorry. I'm so you're like, all right, well, it's not that bad, Avery. Like all right, and now all of a sudden they've stolen your anger away and you can't even teach them a lesson about it because they're so mad at themselves. You're like, so maybe that's what Kelnick did. I think I was that kid. Yeah, I bet you were. You're a couple of rule followers, first children, you and Avery, you little tall first children. (laughs) But maybe they think that this is a legitimate growing experience for him and that facing the music is incredibly important to his growth because as Jerry kind of told us yesterday, 2023 may not happen. They may need to be looking farther down the road. They may need to be thinking about next year. And if they can get Jared Kelnick into the right mental space, you would think it would help. But if they were thinking of trading him at the deadline, that's now off the table, right? If you were thinking of trading him in the offseason, that's likely off the table. He's now going to have another prove-it year for the Mariners, something that I think we all thought he was done with. So really, really huge bummer yesterday for Kelnick. I got a couple other thoughts on it throughout the morning, which I will give you. In fact, we'll give you everything you need to know next. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it is a tale about as old as time. Just when you think you got a team figured out, they throw you a curve. And that's exactly what the Mariners did again yesterday. They take the series finale. They end up splitting with the Twins. The story, as usual, when they win, excellent starting pitching. This time, it was George Kirby. Shots at the waist, now deals. A check swing. Buxton certainly goes around. 97 mile an hour flames up and into Byron Buxton. Kirby strikes out his seventh batter over four scoreless. Yeah, he was electric yesterday. I was in the building, and that fastball really, really popped. Seven shutout innings. He gives up just four hits. He strikes out ten in the process. Exactly what the doctor ordered. Pitching, pitching. Um, George Kirby, what a season um, he's putting together. And uh, just continues to impress um, time and again, uh, he is not afraid. He loves the competition. I think that's what sticks out more than anything else. When you watch him pitch, he just loves to bring it on. You know, I will give you my best effort, and uh, he usually ends up on the right side of things. Awesome outing. One of the things I noticed uh, kind of sitting where I was sitting yesterday is that after he came out of the game, Kirby made a special point to go around to all of the guys and thank them for the fielding plays, etc. He's an interesting kind of fiery cat, and you don't necessarily see it right away. But if you're paying attention and you're listening to what the guys say about him, he is definitely the kind of dude who's showing some of that leadership that we are hoping 
comes across with this team. As for the offense, they actually did their job. I mean, they scored five runs yesterday. It was frustrating that they let the guy off the hook in the first inning. But I like this cut here from Teo Hernandez because he explains that even though they didn't score more than one run early, they started to accomplish their goal. We could have scored more in the first inning, but uh, we put together a good good inning, uh, especially because we make him work. And, and that's one of the biggest things for a team uh, to get the starter out, out of out of the game before the fifth inning or, or even in the fifth inning uh, so we can work through the, the, the bullpen and, and that's what we did and uh, I think it was a good game for us. Yeah, they did. They were able to get a pretty good pitcher out in the fifth which allowed them to go to work on the bullpen later. They did get it done. They kept Duran out of the game, thank God, and the Mariners end up with a split. Back to 500, nine and a half behind Texas, five and a half back in the wild card. Blue Jays in for three starting tonight in what might be the last stand for this team. Bryce Miller goes first against old friend Yusei Kikuchi. Here's the second thing you need to know. So what did you do when you heard that Jared Kelnick had a broken toe kicking a water cooler after striking out on Wednesday night? If you didn't make a joke about the team kicking the bucket, then you're doing it wrong. That's all I know. It's a dumb thing to do. The kids worked so hard to control his emotions. They obviously got the better of him there. He certainly was contrite afterwards, and Scott explained. Jared took his frustration a little too far. He came into the dugout, ended up kicking the, the water cooler, felt something right away. We had x-rays taken on his left foot. He has a broken bone on his left foot, so he's going to be out for a significant time. And um, talking to him uh, feels terrible about it. Not just the fact that, you know, he's going to miss time, but when you do things like that, you know, it affects a lot of people. It affects your team and certainly uh, teammates. And, and, you know, he's, you know, you have to learn lessons sometimes in life the hard way. And this is one that hopefully he learns from it and you have to move forward. Yeah, he is going to definitely learn this one the hard way. And you could tell how hard it was for him to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that I, like, I love to win. I'm a huge competitor and that's the hardest part is that now i like i can't be out there to to help the guys and that's like i said that's my fault hard for him personally hard for him to deal with his teammates and thankfully they said some of the right things and went out and won a game right afterwards but as somebody who struggles from a little temper issue myself i get it the dude's 24 years old hopefully he learns from this it also happened after a great at bat against arguably the best pitcher in the league right now. And it tells me it's not just about being frustrated with himself. That's part of it. His season's not going the way it was earlier in the year. But I think it's about this season for the team and how it just hasn't gone right. And it's hard to blame him for being mad at that. Quite frankly, there's a part of me that loves it, that he's this fired up. And I'm sure I'm not alone on that. If he can learn to control it, man, he is such a perfect counterbalance to Julio Rodriguez as the two twin stars on this team long term. Meanwhile, his absence did make room for Cade Marlowe to make his major league debut. Went 0 for 3 with a walk, but he did not look overmatched. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, a huge and hearty congratulations to everyone in our nation's capital today as they are finally rid of Dan Snyder. I suppose we could offer the same words to the other owners, to Roger Goodell, to the rest of the NFL community. Ding dong, Snyder's gone. Uh, He's been a scourge on this league for years. Erratic behavior, horrible meddling, unacceptable workplace actions, and just the general dismantling of one of the league's premier franchises. He does leave with billions of dollars. He made about $5 billion on the deal, but... 
about $60 million less than expected after the league fined him for sexually harassing a former employee. I saw this and I thought I would just uh, go through it quickly. This is Dan Snyder's tenure with Washington. In 24 years of owning the team, they went 164-220-2. He had 10 coaches, made the playoffs only six times, had four federal investigations, two NFL investigations, three attorney general investigations, three names of his team, 27 starting quarterbacks, and only two all pros. That is impressive. Meanwhile, to the open championship, how about the little lefty? Brian Harmon, the story of the day as he gets to 10 under, five shots clear of Tommy Fleetwood, who is yet to tee off. We'll keep you updated on how that goes over the course of the morning. That is everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. How excited were you, Maura, when you found out that Daniel Snyder was officially gone? Oh, my gosh. So excited. And I know... Sixty million isn't even that much for him, but I'm I'm glad to see that they actually released the report this mm-hmm. time. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it wasn't into all of the details of everything that happened in his tenure. There was only a couple of specific circumstances, but that they said, "Yeah, we found that he did this, and we're gonna not give him a s- complete slap on the wrist." Does it time. bother you, or are you okay with the fact that that only comes out on the day he sells the team? Oh no, it totally bothers me. Right? I mean, like, same he was here, getting like, the protection of being an NFL owner before, and now mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, you're out," so we'll be a little harsher. And it definitely makes you think like, okay, well, what are other NFL owners doing that they just hide and are able to cover for them? It, it really is a frustrating thing, but going to take the win when it exists. Dan Snyder is gone and he's probably, you know, never going to be allowed back in this country again either. So like his life is going to be a little complicated, but he's got $5 billion more now that he can go saw, spend on it. I saw Amy Trask, who used to be a, um, an executive yeah. for the Raiders when Al Davis was there tweet this morning something that I've that Wyman's already said. So I guess this was just a common thing for him that he, um but when when she met him he had someone came over that worked for him beforehand and said, You can't look him in the eyes. Yeah. And they say like you can't call him Daniel. You, you have to call him Mr. Snyder. Snyder. Who are you that you think you can like and the same thing happened to Wyman when he met him. That you think you can tell people like don't look him in the eyes. Not only can you well you don't tell them. You have your people tell him. Yes. That's how obnoxious you are. You have people whose entire job it is just to tell other people what to call not you. To look you in the eyes and, what, and not to address you as Yeah, and you know what? I've managed to work with Brock all these years and he does exactly the same thing. <laughs> it's it's hard to fathom how we've been able to make this work. All right. Jerry DePoto is uh well, he's a guy who is much more transparent, willing to come on, willing to talk about some of what ails the team. We spoke with him yesterday before the Kelnick news came out, but there are some really important and interesting things to hear from Jerry. First of all, what are the Mariners going to do with the deadline? How will they be creative? Stick around. You'll hear it next. I'm Brock and Salk. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Well, it's Thursday, and it is time for another Jerry DePoto Show. We do this every Thursday at 8.30. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, guys. Just me today. Brock is uh, taking his final uh, days of vacation here before uh, before the uh, football season begins. But you know, I, we've we've seen this team come out of the break, and and probably not what you were hoping for. How would you describe what we've seen since the All Star break? Uh, you know, certainly not what we saw headed into the All Star break, and, and but in different ways. You know, I, since we came out of break. You know, we've we've had a start and go offense. You know, there there've been 
big innings or, or nice days, but nothing consistent, which is kind of a repeat of most of our first half. And, you know, what's been a little unusual coming out of the break is that our pitching has wobbled. And, you know, we, we just haven't really done the things that we do on the mound. And, and that's led to, uh, you know, to a couple of, of hard-fought series, truly. I mean, we didn't play well against the Tigers. And, you know, Bryce came up with a good one on Sunday, and we, we salvaged the game. And, and now with the, the series with the Twins, we just, we just haven't given ourselves much of a chance. I thought Luis Castillo was, was very good last night. At one of the stuffier outings he's had as a Mariner. But by and large, you know, our, our pitching just hasn't put us in a position to win games as it usually does. Well, it also kind of feels like some of the mistakes have compounded on themselves at times. But where do some of the mistakes come from? You know, it's it, again, it's just something that when you're pressing, you do things that stand out as odd. And you know, I don't know what it is about this season or or why it has been this way with our team, but you know, it, we found a way. You know, in the previous two years we found a way to do the clutch thing and and in these these you know past few months we just found a way not to do the clutch thing and you know, i think getting thrown out twice at home plate in a six hit first inning the other night was uh that's a tough one to swallow you know last night you know just whiffing a ball that's right there just above the strike zone it's probably that's that with the bases loaded is it, they're not things we normal normally do and and these are not players who are all, all mistake prone you know there's some who are more likely to run into a mistake than another but you know by and large it's just something that has has vexed this team all year long you know we found a way to do the thing that we can't do in, in order to to win the game and and that's the way it's resulted so what do you do in, in your job when you see that? What do you do? Like we've done all year long and like I think Scott has done, it's it's trying to urge the group. I, I know in, in recent weeks he's he's tapped into don't try to be the hero in the batter's box. I, it's it's a very similar mentality across the rest of the game. It's it's just trying to stay within yourself and do what you do to affect the game. And you know, you can't go out and hit a five run homer. You're not gonna go out there and strike out six hitters in an inning and it's 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 just staying within your game. And, and I think so many of our guys right now realize the, the urgency and, and our need to, to get on a roll that's beyond, you know, win for or lose for. This is, it's been a very back and forth season. And, and, you know, it's very unusual. We've been doing this for a long, long time. And I, it's, we're 500 team. That's about as mediocre as, as you're going to be. And we've done it in a very 500 way. We never separate very much from the, the win to lose to type type scenario. And, and typically a team gains more traction in one way or the other. And we've, we've just not been able to find that. Are there buttons left to push? Well, I don't know is the, the answer, you know, right now we're, we're dealing with, we're a little banged up, you know, the short starts coming out of the break has put some stress on our bullpen. So we're tapping into a good deal of our depth. We had already tapped into our depth, you know, and, in addition to the back and forth game, you know, we've, we've done what we've done to this point in July. We're nearing our 100th game. And I think we've only had one starting pitcher with, with any meaningful, you know, the track record for major league service or one that existed beyond two years. So it's, uh, you know, we've, we've really exercised a full organizational, I, I guess we've tapped into our organizational depth 
to play to this point. I'm not sure that there's much more there that we can go tap into. We are headed into the trade deadline. We've not really separated ourselves in a meaningful way to, to be aggressive on the buying end, but you know, we are constantly trying to find ways to make ourselves better. And we'll use these next couple of weeks of July to, to consider those ways, whether it's, whether it's better to, to make a push for the 23 season or to better situate ourselves for 24. So when I hear you say that, it, 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 what I hear you saying, and maybe I'm wrong, is that selling in some fashion is not off the table. No, and it never has been. You know, I, I think in, in, when you've asked that question in the past, I've always tried to answer it as, as honestly as I can. We are always, you know, one foot in camp of buyer and one foot in the camp of the seller, believing that the best way to approach any trade deadline is with the mindset of how do we make the Mariners better? And, and that's a, it's a broad question that can be answered in a lot of ways. So, you know, in years past, we've done a little of both. Last year, we were very aggressive in, in the trade market for what I would call, you know, the big fish, you know, and we were able to land Luis Castillo. Now, this year, we're probably not going to be in that market. We're going to be more in the, the margins market or trying to find a way that we can get a little bit better in 23 and, and better situate ourselves for 24. Because one way or the other, we've learned a lot this uh, the first half of this season. And, and I think it's it goes, there's a, there's a public narrative to, to our offensive team, and there's the actual. And the actual is, we're about an average major league offense by most advanced metrics. And we need to find a way to be better than average. And, you know, in order to do that, we can tap into a lot of different avenues. And uh, some of it's going to come from our system. Some of it's going to come from outside and it has to, and maybe that starts now. So what does it, what does that mean? You know, how, what are the differences there between sort of the public narrative and, you know, what you're seeing in advanced metrics that, that leads you to say it's a, it's average. Uh, we've hovered right around a, a 100 WRC plus or OPS plus for most of the year, at least most of these last three months. That is average. You know, we do it in a slightly different way than is, you know, I guess pleasing to, to most onlookers. We don't hit for a high average. We are roughly 15th in the league in runs scored. We are roughly 15th in the league in, in home runs. We are, we are in the top 10 in the league in, in walk percentage. And, you know, the area that drags us down is the contact. Believe it or not, we are 15th in the league in hitting with runners in scoring position. <laughs> it's a, but the, when we're watching it, I think the expectations around this team were that we should have already won our 110th game. You know, Luis Castillo should have already qualified for the Cy Young. Julio should have already joined the 50-50 club. And, you know, and win two, lose two creates this mad frustration. It's a very average offensive team, and we have to find a way to become better than average. And uh, it's it's going to take some – it's going to require some creative moves because we don't have – uh, a next wave of bats at AAA ready to come and, and push us over that edge. And we need our young players to, to step forward, moving forward. And, and we're probably going to need to address something from outside as well. So I wonder whether some of that affects the like the mentality in the in the clubhouse if if there if that public narrative exists versus some of what you see in the advanced metrics how do the guys handle that because I watch you know the two guys get thrown out at home plate the other day and I wonder at least whether or not that stems from a desire to be more aggressive or a lack of faith that they're going to be driven in from third base or whatever the case may be how much do they seem to understand some of those differences, if that makes sense? 
Uh, you know, I think they understand them. I think that's why the mistakes happen. And, and you know, there's it's you play tight. You're trying to deliver. You're trying to tell, you know, a different story than what happened last night, you know, in a, in a game where we were you know on the, on the wrong side of it. And the players feel that pressure. You know, they, they, they really do. And I don't think it's a it's a lack of belief in the fact that the next hitter up is going to drive you in at all. You know, it's a, it's an area where you are trying to do more than you're capable. And I, I know it sounds like a broken record through the weeks in saying this. when you are trying to do more than you are capable, you are almost always going to do less. <laughs> and, and yet every time as competitors, we get in that situation and we want to please, we want to please people. We want to please fans. We want to please coaches. And, and you go out and you push yourself beyond, or you try to do a little more than you're capable or in that moment, you know, when it's on the line, you squeeze the bat a little bit harder, or, you know, you're guessing, boy, he threw me two sliders in a row. I'm going to sit on the slider. Boom. There's the fastball and the game's over. And, and I know that's the, you know, that's what we've watched throughout the course of the year. We have a good, talented team that just hasn't played up to its standards. And, and I think we've been chasing it for months now with, with a group that is trying to live up to the expectations that we all had of, of ourselves and that, the, and that our fan base and, and the, the surrounding public had for us. And we just haven't done well managing that. And then we've allowed the, the stress of that to weigh us down. You, you mentioned some of the young pitchers this year, and, and Brian Wu, uh, we know, is going to be limited at some point just because of some of the previous injuries. Do we have a sense as to how many starts he has left? Uh, you know, he'll pitch through the end of the year, health, you know, health you know, cooperating with, with us. But, you know, there may be a time, and, and it could happen uh, come mid-August, where we stretch our rotation out to a sixth starter. There is the potential of, of using the combination of off days, which start to get a little bit more common in mid-August to the end of the year. Off days and spot starts to, to be able to skip them. But, you know, like we did a year ago with George and, and like we did the year before with Logan, you know, our, our general plan is to make sure that these guys have the, the experience of pitching through a long season, not just reaching a start that a, you know, a start number and innings total and shutting them down. We'd rather be creative and getting to the end so that they experience a six month season because that's the mm-hmm. bigger weight to carry moving forward. Do you think Marco returns? Do we have an update on where Marco's at? Uh, no real update. You know, Marco is, is still, uh, he's still not in a throwing program. So impossible yet to tell, you know, when or if he'll be back minimally, it, you know, it's, it, it will take weeks, not days for him to, to get back into, you know, a, a throwing program and build up the innings to be able to contribute. So, you know, the clock's ticking and hopefully we'll get an update today. That is uh that is a, a positive one, but I can't really give you any update beyond he's still not in the throwing program. We don't have a timeline for his return. I think about what you said there about trying to be creative and, and, and needing to, you know, get your offense above average. And it makes me wonder, and I don't, not sure exactly how to ask this question or how you can answer it, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Has this year changed your view at all of some of the sort of core pieces that you had been counting on as opposed to peripheral pieces? No, not at all. I, there's, and when you say core pieces, I look at our, the team on the field. And I, I said it a moment ago, we have, we have good players. And, and in some cases we have good players who are not playing 
you know, up to their capabilities or potential. And in other cases, we have players who are still evolving. You know, it's a, it, it's, there is an expectation that is attached to some of our young guys, to Julio, to Jared Kelnick, to Cal Raleigh, some of our young pitchers. These guys are Brian Wu, Bryce Miller. Right? There are a lot of young, evolving major league players. And, and to think that there wouldn't be bumps in the road for these guys would have been foolish. And, uh, you know, some of, of the struggle that, that we have had is simply on me. You know, I didn't do a good enough job of building a group around that, that, that core to, to support the bumps and the bruises. And, and, you know, that's played out I, that there's now we are four clean months into the season. And, and that's been a real, you know, hole for us throughout the season. And, and we have to figure out how to get better there. And, and I do think that we need to, to add to that core. We need to extend what that core looks like. It is fun to see some of our veteran players start to show, you know, Gino's been on a nice little heater since the, the break. He's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, you know, and he looks more like Eugenio Suarez. And, you know, that's a positive sign. I do think that we've seen some ups and downs from those that young group, but that's almost to be expected. And, you know, we, we need the stability from our veterans, and that's where we've just fallen a little short this year is the combination of – you know, evolving young players who at times have wobbled and veterans who have generally not been quite what they've always been. And, and that's a, that's a, and I, and I say that, and I want to throw a, the, the, the bulk of the, the praise for this team has been about the pitching, but we've, we have also seen, you know, some really good runs that are almost always supported by one hot bat and what has been a very consistent JP Crawford. So, you know, there's there's still a lot to love about our team, and you know, but you can't really look back at the last four months and see, wow, I've loved the way this has gone. It's it's been a struggle. Yeah, Brock and I got into a into a conversation. I think it was yesterday about the importance of stars, not just in baseball. We we're kind of talking about it more across sports and in, in the modern day in general. Um, as as being a star is probably different than it was ten, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago, depending on how you look at it. What is what do you think is the importance or value of stars in the modern day game to building a roster? Uh, I mean, stars stars help because stars are stars because they have talent <laughs> and talent drives. And you know, I, I I do think that there is a you know we have players with we have a handful of pitchers who are stars who frankly don't get the notoriety of stars. And you know, I know there's a Again, public narrative. Luis Castillo is, you know, top ten in the league in ERA, top ten in the league in strikeouts. He's a three-time All Star. I don't know that, it, that that he would be considered a star. I'm not sure you can be much better than George Kirby. And you know, his last start, accepting his consistency, the stuff. You know, he's he's got that kind of quality. I think. You know, obviously Julio has an element of celebrity and big talent and and star power. You know, there's those players in the moment give you, you know, they they buoy your lineup, they buoy your rotation, and they buoy your season to to the point where, you know, it's when it starts to get on a bad roll, they're typically the ones who stop it and start moving it in the other direction. And, you know, there's our stars on the mound have generally been positive in doing that. And, you know, we we need to continue to develop the group around, you know, the the, the more 
I guess, celebrated players. And I think there are more in our system who have a chance to, to play on that tier. But, you know, games are won and lost by depth. It's a, as stars in the NBA make games happen. They make championships happen. You know, a star player in the NHL can separate you in, in the postseason. In Major League Baseball, a star is is an attraction. It's a star power, and it stops a ball from rolling in the wrong direction. But it's such a team game. It's a it's in that way. I can't even you know stress how important it is to make use of your entire roster. And some of the better teams that you'll see, you know, over the course of time, it, it's it's built on every position that you look at. You're like, wow, that guy's a better player than I thought. Wow, he was a better player than I thought. And then all of a sudden, there's 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 a sprinkling of an ace and a and a, and a real attraction in the middle of the lineup. But that's that's how you win in baseball is one through twenty six, and and the stars just help you stop the ball from rolling. Just as an aside, I'm watching that kid last night, Duran, pitch for for Minnesota. What are we doing? Like what what, what he's throwing 105 miles an hour, Jerry? What? How does anybody get a hit off of that? Uh, it was certainly deflating. Thinking, <laughs> man, I don't know how you do it, and it's uh, and to, it's 105, and it's not even his best pitch. <laughs> it is what's scary, you know that 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 splitter, or splunker, whatever it is that he throws, that's almost 100 miles an hour and moves in a different direction each time is is just nasty uh, on a different level, but, uh, pitching has evolved to such an extent. And I, I think, I, I don't know this is accurate today, but I think the, the batting average in, in the American league today is 248 or in the big leagues is 248. And, and I, and I think people look at a 248 hitter like, ah, oh, what's wrong with so-and-so 248 in our league right now is average. It's really hard to hit when guys look like John Durant. He's that's and when guys look like Andres Munoz and Paul Seawald and, and and George Kirby and Luis Castillo, it's it's amazing what's come out of, of of pitchers' hands in recent years and and the evolution of pitching has really made playing offense so much more it needs to be more strategic. And that those are some of the lessons we've learned. It's you know, the the it's you're always going to be able to draw a walk. You're always going to be able to to manage an at bat. You're always going to be able to choose which pitch that you swing at. But it's becoming harder and harder to to put balls in play. <laughs> and you know, I think the we're seeing a better version of the game today than we've seen in recent years due to rules changes. You know, again, public narrative versus reality. You know, our run scoring per game is up almost a half a run this this year over last year, year over year, and and uh, that's from last year at the trade deadline to this. Our offense has actually gotten better, but you'd never know it because it is it is so hard to consistently have traction when you're facing guys like this every night. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I understand that you know members of the public or media or whomever can certainly you know run a little wild with with narratives. But it is it is hard to also at the same time sort of ignore the eye test. And you know we're sitting here, as you said, almost a hundred games in, and seeing Texas start to kind of pull away a little. I hear the frustration in your voice. I know you sense the frustration in in the fans and everybody else who's been kind of watching the team this year. I'm not even sure what my question is, Jerry, other than to just sort of say, what happens next? 
Yeah, no, and you say it, and I think, you know, the question is, I'm not criticizing, you know, the eye test. Right. I've seen it too, and I, and every Thursday I get on with you and tell you, I see it too. <laughs> I, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to defend the fact that there's our club is not rolling out there and, and rolling over. They are playing like a mediocre baseball team, and that's, you know, right now that appears to have been our four-month faith. And, you know, what comes next is we flip the script. And like last week, like the week before, like every week that I've come out and talked to you since we've experienced these struggles, that's going to happen with our young players taking the step forward. It's going to happen when players with real track records start finding some traction. And it's got to be more than one at a time. You know, leading into the break, we had a couple of hot hitters and we won seven out of 10. That's we. That's the thing is having more than one hot hitter. It's Coming out of the break, Gino's swinging the bat pretty well. Not not a lot going on up and down the lineup otherwise, really. And again, JP's been as consistent as, as all get out. So we, we have to figure out how to get multiple hitters moving in the same direction to score runs. And and here, you know, new element to to bring to the table. We have to get back to doing what we do on the on the pitchers now and getting ahead of hitters and, and being efficient in our pitch counts to get deeper in games. Jerry, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, it seems to just be remarkable how many Wednesdays this team has managed to lose right before we have some of these conversations. But appreciate you coming on and joining us. And uh, we got a day game today. Kirby on the mound. Beautiful day at T-Mobile Park. And uh, try to uh, you know split this series and then on to Toronto this weekend. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You got it, Mike. Well, there you go. That is uh, Jerry DePoto, who joined me yesterday. And, um, yeah, obviously George Kirby went out. Of course they would win on a Thursday. They're happy to win on Thursdays, Fridays even. It's really just Wednesdays that they've had issues all year long. uh, I talked to Jerry when he called in yesterday. We actually talked about how maybe we should just move the interview to a different day. Seriously, let's just do this on Friday. We wouldn't have a problem. But instead, we have to do it on Thursday. And, you know, every time they lose on Wednesday. But... I, look, I, I know there are a lot of people frustrated by the idea that they are average offensively. I get it. I, I think there are some metrics you look at where they're below average. There are other metrics that you look at that they are average. I think the truth is probably somewhere in between there, that they're a slightly below average offense, but they do it in an incredibly ugly way. And so when they they look the way they look, and by the way, when you compare it to the pitching that they have, it is extra frustrating and makes them look even worse than they are. It's Jerry's job to find a way to not be emotional about that, to look at the hard data and then figure out an answer. But he's also got to use the eye test, man. And the eye test for this team simply has not passed over the course of what is now three months. So he's in an even bigger bind now. He's he's lost his starting left fielder, a guy who's been one of their two best hitters over the course of the season. What do you do next? Well, I don't know. It's uh, it's about 10 days or so until the trade deadline. And as Jerry said, they have not done anything to prove that they deserve a big time bat to add to this lineup in terms of a rental. Are there things you can do long-term? Maybe. But now you're going to have to do without your left fielder. Speaking of him, Jared Kelnick, as you know, broken foot yesterday. Is this a positive? There's a way you could look at it that way. I don't know if it's true, but we'll see if we can explore it together next.